I think that when we hear the don'ts of love listed in 1 Corinthians 13, we could be led to think, oh, well, sure, of course love isn't rude. Of course it's not arrogant. And so the, the beginning of the outline is the don'ts of love are simple, but they are not easy. I don't pretend for just one second that even though they're light terms that we're looking at today, irritable, love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. It's not that it's simple to do those things because every human experiences them. This is a very gentle list. A lot of the lists in the New Testament, um, like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, or this list, uh, even when Jesus, uh, the, what, what we call the Beatitudes, they're gentle descriptions of followers of God. In that, it's not a labeling of, it's sin when you're irritable. If Paul wanted to say that, he would have said it. I think that one of the problems sometimes is when we misread Scripture, when it gives us a list like this and we turn it into more than it is. Plenty of lists of sins to go around. And it's essential to notice when God is inviting us into uh, better love in this case. Uh, anxiety is one that I see a lot of, because the scripture says that we cast our anxieties on the Lord. Jesus said that. Paul said it. And Peter said it. Sometimes pastors will lump it in as though it's listed with other sins and it's not. Which distracts us from the good news which is that in Christ the Holy Spirit grows us out of those things. But love is not intuitive. In the same way that the fruit of the Spirit and the definition by description of 1 Corinthians 13 of love are gentle, they're also implying very straightforwardly, you and I are not going to naturally love well. We're not going to naturally be patient. We're not going to naturally know how to resist irritability and resentment. And yet that's what God is growing us in. It's not common sense either. Occasionally when I've taught on the law, people have been like, right, it's common sense. And I think what they're thinking about is murder. Like it's common sense we shouldn't murder people. And yet the entire history of mankind would show us that at least for some men and women, it's in fact not intuitive. It's not about education, though education is incredibly important. The scripture is gently telling us we can be better lovers, and it's not going to be intuitive. But through a trusting relationship with Jesus, we are grown, using the passive voice on purpose, we are grown into better lovers of him and of neighbor. So the don'ts are not easy, but they are simple in the way that they point. They point you and I to the fact that we need help. Capital H, probably. Maybe not all H-E-L-P. Does it feel like yelling? You know, if you see, like, the whole word is all caps. But we need serious help. The apostle, or I'm sorry, the prophet Jeremiah described us as broken vessels in our natural state that hold no water. C.S. Lewis, an, an English uh, professor... Well, that's a bad shorthand. He said there were half-hearted creatures. Francis Schaeffer, a Presbyterian, somewhat philosophical writer and thinker, described us as glorious ruins. We're made in the image of God, and yet we're not good at love intuitively, naturally. 
G.K. Chesterton, a uh, 20th century journalist in England, said the only provable doctrine of Christianity is total depravity. You can prove that. If you read the news any day of the week, we will note that men and women are pretty messy folk, pretty sinful, in desperate, full need of help. And so we turn to 1 Corinthians 13, longing to be grown by the Holy Spirit in these ways. The church was, um, we're going to look at resentment, the church was, among other things, resenting one another's gifts. I say that because the first three verses um, almost sarcastically pointed towards the church before he says love is patient and not resentful or irritable. If you have your Bible, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have your Bible, it's probably on your smartphone. You can scroll much quicker, perhaps. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Some resentment about those that had some spiritual gifts and others that didn't. In verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers, which in the New Testament means I'm good at speaking truth. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Kind of alluding to Jesus' statement about faith. But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is patient. Every human that I've ever had a decent conversation with longs for more patience. I don't know about you. If we stop and think about it, is there someone in your life that you're a little less patient with than you would like to be? I kind of assume that's the case. The gospel of Jesus is implying here, gently and strongly, it's not only possible, it's available. The patience you and I long for in relationship is available to us. The gospel of Jesus is not only about eternal security, though that is very sweet. It is not only about internal peace, though that is a wonderful gift. It's also about learning to love God and neighbor well, which involves being grown by the Holy Spirit in patience. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit, singular, the things that you and I are grown in by the indwelling Holy Spirit includes this, 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's not to impress you. That's because I initially learned it in a song. And if I don't say it fast, I'll leave one out. But it's... <laughs> That's not going to happen. If I, if I was unwilling to sing Adele a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm really not going to sing the Fruit of the Spirit song. Def- I definitely can't say it backwards. It's not only possible for you and I to be grown in patience, it's available, though it is not easy. Patience doesn't mean slow either. Sometimes when we talk about patience, people think it means like, well, just everything has to go at a snail's pace. No, it means right timing. You know when a coach says good patience with a football team, it was waiting for the play to develop. With a soccer team, it's waiting until the team was there to take the shot on goal. With basketball, it's making the right pass until the team was ready. It doesn't mean not acting. It means acting in a way that's sustainable and good. Maybe it's right way, right thing, right time. We're beginning as a church to get better. And members of this church have always reached out well to our community. But the church as an institution, I think, can get better at this. But we're doing it patiently, which drives some of us nuts. Like, how come we're not out there every week serving? You know why? It wouldn't be sustainable. And we'd actually end up hurting those organizations and wearing our people out if we do it without patience. But we have to keep our eye on it and keep growing in it. A member of our church did uh, some prison ministry this past week. There's a ministry you can't get into impatiently. They won't let you in if you're not trained. But because of the training this person went through, they were able to do a retreat with people in prison and, and get to talk to them about God's love and really just get to be a friend to some people that don't have a lot of friends. We're working on partnering with the food pantry, and a number of members of our church have done that quietly for decades. But we're trying to put it together patiently so that it lasts. There's some folks from the church who reach out to homeless men and women in Hartford. And we can't all go down there on a Saturday. They don't need that many of us. And then when we don't show up again, we would actually hurt the organization. But we're trying to get better. It also has to do with our individual relationships. We can be grown in patience. Um, I'll throw a a little tip or a trick in there for those of us with little kids. Um, We can think, how might I act with patience towards my child as I cry out to the Lord, please help? I'm going to offer a couple of things that I did a couple of years ago because I was really having trouble finding my uh, then nine, now 11-year-old. Here are two things I did. Because I thought about it. I wanted to act more patient with her even as I was asking the Lord to help our relationship regularly. I stopped saying her name. Those of you without, without children are like, why? Those of you with children know exactly why I stopped saying her name. Because it was always like, Carrie, 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 Carrie. And I ask her to come into the room if she wants to talk to me, but I don't do that. But when I stopped saying her name, I realized I would have to go sit next to her and talk to her about what I wanted to talk to her about. The other thing is I stopped asking her to be polite to me. Not forever. I still made her be polite to you, and especially to my wife. But I stopped asking. I was just like, what if we just removed one of the things that causes impatience in me and between us? So I just dropped that. But listen, here's the funny thing about me mentioning tips 
and tricks and techniques is it's not going to get us anywhere. If we all had enough blood sugar and caffeine to sit in a big round table and share all of our stories about patience, would you leave after a three-hour session and be more patient? Nope. Some of us could maybe act with more patience, but we wouldn't be more patient. This is why this is so wonderful that it's in the definition by description of love and included in the fruit of the Spirit. What a wonderful promise that you and I will be grown up in patience. But we must be honest, we can't buy more patience. While we can learn things about ourselves and about others, for the most part, we don't just learn patience. It doesn't just happen that way. Perhaps it's even the opposite. We learn impatience increasingly. Most of us can't really fake it with very many people. We don't successfully pretend we're patient. We're like, I, it's okay, no rush. And they're like, I feel like you're saying one thing and, you know, that whole 80% of communication is body language, right? We can't fake it. We can't fake patience. And that reminds us of our need. And so we cry out to God. That's actually what we're asking when we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking that our little kingdoms be more like his. Well, what's his kingdom like? It's patient. The Lord has never been impatient with me or with you. So when we ask his kingdom, our kingdoms to be like his, that's what we're asking for. Begging for, pleading for. We long for patience and we long for help resisting irritability and resentment. And listen, the problem with irritability is not that you feel irritable. You and I feel irritable because we're human beings. The problem with irritability is when we impose our irritability on another person. My working definition of irritability is imposing emotions on another person. Which means the opposite of irritability is not cramming it down. It's not pretending like you don't feel the way that you feel. It's honesty. How much of the negative energy of our irritability is just gone if we're honest when we walk in the door? I'm kind of having a rough day. And I don't want to take it out on you. How much better are we then? Resentment, I think, is the same way. Humans resent others' successes. It's halfway in between jealousy and envy. It's very human to feel resentment. My working definition of resentment is the inability to celebrate another. That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. They're resenting one another's gifts. They wanted, everybody wanted to have all the gifts. I'm so glad I don't have all the gifts. I mean, I have most of the gifts. Let's be clear. I'm just kidding. My wife has been studying the Enneagram. Some of you are fans of the Enneagram, and some of you are like, that stuff is weird, and that's either way is fine with me. According to the Enneagram, I'm a helper. That's my uh, dominant way of doing life, perhaps, or my instinctive way of doing life. I'm sure I would describe it better if I had read any of the books that she's read. I haven't. So you know who I'm jealous of? Those of you that can cook. I am. And I have been working on it. I'm cooking twice a week. I found a recipe book that understands that I don't know how to cook. It's so great. It says, heat the oil until it's hot but not smoking. I love that. 
I love it because most recipe books assume that I know when the oil's hot enough and the pan's on, you know, boil and the oil starts shooting everywhere and I get frustrated. Some of you are gifted some ways, some of you are gifted other ways. And we try not to resent one another's gifts. And one of the chief ways that we do that as a, as a corporate body of Christ, we learn to celebrate one another's gifts. Rick, I'm so glad that you can make those. I really am. I long to, ro- to smoke chicken the way that you do, and I'm working on it. I'm, and this is me actively not resenting your gift. The opposite of resentment is not shoving it down. The opposite of resentment and irritability is not pretending that we don't feel that way, but it is being honest with the other person. Which, you know what happens when we're honest with the other person? We realize that part of what we're doing is asking them to fill us up in a way that no human can fill another human. That's the reason we have to hear the definition by description of love is what we do in our natural state is we go to another human and we ask them to give us internal peace. And they can't because they're human too. That's why it's so key that in the middle of this text or at the end, Paul says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Because he knows that he's known by God. And that's where his peace comes. That's the source of his growing patience, his, his ability through the Holy Spirit's indwelling to resist irritability and resentment. And it's the same for you and for me. It's the same for our church. We won't make it if we're asking other people to deliver for us in a deep way. We won't make it if we continue to resent one another's gifts and skill sets. I think the opposite is honesty. I'm so glad that you are gifted the way that you are. William, I'm so glad you know how to do that soundboard. I can turn it on. That's all I can do with the soundboard. And sometimes I've gotten that wrong. I'm thankful. And you're like, it's not that hard. It is actually for some of us. We learn to celebrate one another's gifts. We learn not to impose our emotions on others, both of those through honesty. Parents and children struggle with this, husbands and wives, men and women who go to church with one another, brothers and sisters. And the answer is to look to Christ to fill the part of us that longs to be fully known and fully loved. And then approach the person as a person in our life, a neighbor, who we can celebrate their gifts. And when we're irritable, we're honest about that. It doesn't solve all the problem. But it's a good step. And I want to say something with strength. So I'm going to say it a couple of times and then I'm going to say it a little silly. We have got to note the resentment in our hearts. I have never seen anything like resentment for silently destroying relationships. Friends, coworkers, especially spouses. When we note it in ourselves, even if it was from five years ago, it needs to come out into the light. 
You guys made a decision as a couple eight years ago, and you're a little frustrated about it now. And you're like, is it fair? It doesn't matter if it's fair. That resentment needs to come to light. In hope and prayer, the thing that you resent with your parents, if they're still with us, needs to come to light with your child, with your good friend of 20 years. Resentment is like, this is a little bit heavy, so we're going to make it a little light. Resentment's kind of like a ninja waiting in your house, silent, but very destructive. That was the Presbyterian version of yelling, putting a ninja on screen. The don'ts of love are simple, though not easy. You and I long for patience and for help from the Holy Spirit, resisting irritability and resentment for peace and joy. And that sounds great, right? Like we all want joy and we all want peace. That's the offer. That's the offer of the with God life. Joy doesn't mean happiness all the time. It means confidence that God's got us and he loves us. That eventually... We will understand all of his purposes. But in the meantime, we know that he loves us and has us. Peace is very similar. It transcends all circumstances. That's the offer of the with with God life. Some of us know men and women that are very patient and not prone to irritability and resentment. And they're not followers of Jesus. How does that square up? Well, the Bible's not surprised by that. God's certainly not surprised by that. It's called common grace. Some men and women... Because of either how they're wired or because of their mentoring or because of their genetics are especially patient. They're able to resist irritability and resentment. But here's the offer of Jesus Christ. It's not only that you and I can and will inevitably be grown by the Holy Spirit in patience and away from irritability and resentment. Those things will last even when we suffer doesn't sound especially sweet but doesn't it sound especially good we can not only receive peace and joy but peace and joy that lasts even if we suffer from an undiagnosed illness or from having to grieve repeatedly in season after season or from being sinned against or hurt either grievously or repeatedly or both we can still have peace joy and be grown in patience and away from irritability and resentment. That's the offer. If you're considering the gospel of Jesus, know that that's the offer. And if you are a Christian, be encouraged that even now you and I are being grown. Psalm 1 uses the imagery of a tree. I love this. Paul uses the imagery of a tree in Galatians 5. You and I are being grown into something stable. Is that good news? Do you feel stable? I don't always. You know what I mean. But that's the imagery throughout the Old and the New Testament. You and I are be growing into a stable tree that glorifies Him in its beauty and offers shade to others. As we learn through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through good friendship, through continuing with our church and spiritual community, to be grown by him in patience and away from irritability and resentment for our church, for our individual relationships, 
for the family relationships that we did not choose but that he chose for us? That is the good news. You and I are being grown into that. We don't feel that way, so we return to prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your grace that takes us exactly as we are, sensing our need for you. But it doesn't leave us there. I thank you that your grace fills us or that your Holy Spirit indwells us and grows us up to men and women of patience who resist irritability and resentment for your glory, for the good of neighbor and for our own good. Holy Spirit, would you give us a sense of that this morning? For the parent, for the adult child, for the disoriented spouse. Would you help us to know that you have us, that you'll never let us go, that you love us, and that you're even now growing us up. In your name we pray. Amen.